that which is to be. And this is one of those passages. Beginning there in verse number 11 of Hebrews 9, we see these two glorious words. But Christ. But Christ being come, a high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctify it to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Our subject this morning could be a number of different things. It could be a number of different expressions. We could have emphasized the expression, but Christ. But all of these expressions and all of these declarations that these verses are, t- are telling us are dependent upon one great truth. And that is our subject, the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ. You'll notice in verse 14, the blood of Christ is described as that which is much more. How much more shall the blood of Christ? How much more? There is nothing greater. There is nothing more that could be added than to that glorious truth of the blood of Christ and what it has secured for us. The writer speaks it has secured our eternal redemption. It has secured our eternity. It has done something that nothing else could do. The blood of bulls, the blood of calves, the ashes of a heifer could not do what the blood of Christ could do. That precious blood of Christ. The Spirit, by the inspiration of His Word, really teaches us and has been teaching us a number of great truths. We've learned about Jesus Christ being that great high priest that Christ entered once into the presence of God the Father. That is the true holy place. It was pictured in the tabernacle on the other side of the veil, the holy of holies. But Christ has entered into the true holy place. That true holy place is in heaven. It is at the right hand of God the Father. We've learned that Jesus Christ made a once-for-all atonement. An atonement, a blood sacrifice that was never again to be re-offered. And it's through that one offering, it is through that one perfect offering that our eternal redemption has been secured. Not the blood of Christ along with the blood of bulls, not the blood of Christ along with the blood of calves or the blood of lambs, but the blood of Christ alone has secured our eternal redemption. We are declared scripturally that because Christ is our high priest, we now through Christ can come boldly before the throne of grace, not just at a time of need, but at any time. And I hope you never get over 
the throne of grace. God could have declared it to be a throne and He would have been well within His rights to just say there is a throne that you can come unto. But the fact that He uses the terminology a throne of grace just demonstrates in an even more magnificent way the beauty and the glory of what Christ has done. A throne of grace. We've learned by looking at all of these pictures and looking at all of these illustrations and these types over the last few weeks, especially last week as we looked at the furniture inside the tabernacle and we talked about the, the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat and the blood being applied to that mercy seat and how the blood was applied to the mercy seat and the, the cherubim's wings are outstretched and on top, of that, on that top of that mercy seat is where man went to meet with God. Inside of that box, inside of that Ark was the broken law, the broken tablet symbolizing man's breaking of God's law, and yet there is mercy to be found. I, for one, am very thankful for the mercy of Christ. I am supremely thankful for the grace of Christ, because without it, I would have nothing to be hopeful about. And yet those ordinances and all those beautiful things and all that furniture and everything that was happening was meant to bring us to verse number 11 that says, but Christ. Now make no mistake about it, the blood in the Old Testament sacrifices had to be applied. It had to be applied to the mercy seat. It's not negating the importance of the blood. It's not negating the importance of the sacrifices. It's not saying those things didn't matter. But what it is saying now is with Christ and but Christ entered in and brought something and did something that nothing else could do. No other blood could do what's now being announced. Now every one of those ordinances was laid upon not only the the priest and upon the Jews who were taking part in those things, but they were meant to be something that pointed us to what we learned at the end of verse number 10 last week, that it were to be imposed on them until the time of Reformation. That time of Reformation is the very next two words, but Christ. How we seem to get rise up and take notice when Christ's name is mentioned. We tend to take notice when we start thinking about our redemption. We start thinking about what Christ has done for us. And in verses 11 and 12 that we've already read, we see clearly now the redemption of sinners is clearly by and only the blood of Christ. The redemption is by the blood of Christ. It was at the appointed time that Christ, this great high priest, and it says the the great high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle. A tabernacle that is not made with hands. And remember, that tabernacle had to be made to exact specifications. They couldn't cut corners. They couldn't leave things out. They had to do it according to the pattern. But yet Christ is described here as the good things to come. What does Christ bring with Him? He brings peace. He brings righteousness. He brings reconciliation. He brings grace. He brings mercy. And instead of us now going to a tabernacle to meet with God and to dwell with God, now through Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God tabernacles with us. That's what the writer means by saying not with a tabernacle made with hands, 
That is to say, not of this building. Not of that beautiful structure, that tabernacle, that tent in the wilderness, and later that temple, but Christ. The writer reminds us very directly and very quickly. He jumps from, but Christ bringing this time of reformation to remind us neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood. By whose blood? By Christ's blood. Now we're told that He did not It was not the tabernacle in the wilderness because it says that he entered in once into the holy place. This holy place was not the tabernacle in the wilderness. This holy place is the entrance into heaven. He's now entered into the real holy place. He's entered into the everlasting holy place. And he entered in not by the blood of goats, not by the blood of calves, but by his own blood. His access into the holy place where God the Father is was by his own blood. You and I have access to the throne of grace because of the blood of Christ. There are many today who say, I, I just cannot get my mind around a, bloody, a bloodied Savior. I can't get my mind around a bloody and battered and beaten and spit upon. I cannot get my mind around that. I cannot get my mind around a Savior who suffered so greatly that that could be my Redeemer. But yet... Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. To wish that Christ had not shed his blood would be to wish your own eternal damnation. To say, I wish Christ never would have shed his blood if he doesn't shed his blood, there is no eternal redemption for you and I. Blood was required. Blood is the access, not the blood of goats, which was at one time the only thing that was offered, And it was important in the moment. Remember, we've learned over the last few weeks as as the Jewish high priest went in once a year into the Holy of Holies, each year it came back around and demanded that they go in again. Their work was never done. Yet the Bible says that Christ entered in once and only once that was so radically different than what the high priests were having to do every year and re-offering another sacrifice. Christ shed His blood once. His blood was offered once. He entered into the holy place once. And what did He enter in to do? And again, not to be emotional, but if this doesn't stir you as a believer, and having obtained eternal redemption for us, I absolutely love that expression. Every believer here loves the expression eternal redemption for us because every believer here knows I received something I did not deserve. I received redemption. Not a possible redemption. Not a maybe redemption. But an eternal redemption. A redemption which really does redeem. A redemption which really does redeem you not just for today, not just for tomorrow, but redeems you for eternity. Do we understand the depth of the eternal redemption that Jesus Christ through His shed blood has secured for us? It is the most marvelous, wonderful, magnificent news you are ever going to hear when you know that Christ shed His blood for you. And by the shedding of His blood, He secured an actual eternal redemption. If you've been redeemed by the blood of Christ, you can never be lost today. 
Let me say that again. If you've been redeemed by the blood of Christ, you can never be lost. You will never be lost again. You will never be undone. You will never be outside of the body and the family of Christ. Your adoption into the family of God is secure through the blood of Christ. Those who want to take the blood out of the Scriptures are taking eternal redemption completely away. Without blood, there is no redemption. Without the blood of Christ, there is no eternal promises. If this redemption is yours today, it is yours not just for this season, but for all of eternity. You have been bought with a price. That price was the precious blood of Christ. Who by his one-time entrance into the holy place is now our great high priest who has obtained eternal redemption for us. There is a real redemption of sinners. Folks, when we pray for the lost to be saved, we are not praying in some random fashion, in some generalized terms. What we are praying for is the very thing which you and I who are saved understand. We're praying for their actual redemption. The gospel is not, Lord, I pray that you would clean up our streets. Lord, I pray that you would clean up our world. Lord, I pray that you'd make our world more palatable. No, our prayer is is as the gospel goes forth that sinners would actually be redeemed from their sins and it actually would understand that the blood of Christ has cleansed them from all unrighteousness, has cleansed them from sin, and has claimed eternal redemption that will never be taken away from them. My great prayer for even the most wicked person that we can think about is that they might be saved by the blood of Christ. How's our attitude towards the wicked? How's our attitude towards those who we see things differently then? Is our attitude that just let them burn? Or is it, Lord, open their eyes that they might be saved? Open their eyes that they might understand and receive this real eternal redemption there is a real redemption of sinners and i hope we understand that today in verses 13 through 15 we see that there is a real remission of sins the remission of sins is by the blood of christ verse 13 for if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifying Sanctify to the purifying of the flesh. Now let's stop there and realize this is where we understand that that blood of bulls and goats in the time in which it was being used was not, does not mean it was without value. The, 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 the New Testament church who just says we want to do away with all the Old Testament is doing that really by ignoring some precious truths. The blood was actually being, was required, and it was doing what God had intended for it to do at that moment. But it was never intended to be that which would provide eternal redemption forever. Now, they were taking that, and that blood was being applied, and it was a picture, it was a type. But when Christ comes, and Christ came, it clearly showed that this is the time in which had been promised. That Christ would come, and notice what it says. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? The emphasis is on the how much more. How much more shall the blood of Christ? Folks, when you come to deal with Christ, you have to deal with and you have to consider eternal things. 
And I can't stress this strong enough. When you're dealing with Christ, you're dealing with eternal things. It's really tough in our world today to not look at everything through the lens of temporal, earthy things. But when you come to Christ, you are dealing with eternal things. You are dealing with things that are eternal, things that are lasting, things that are not temporary. I hope we understand that everything we see in this world as of right now is temporary. Your home, your cars, your money, whatever it is you have, it is all temporary and it can change in a minute. I couldn't get over yesterday by listening to some of these Ukrainians as they interviewed them and they said, why didn't you leave early? And they said, because we never thought this would really happen. We didn't think he'd actually go through with it. And in an instant, if you're watching and you're seeing, you've got 268,000 refugees as of this morning who have no idea where their home is. They have no idea if they're coming home. They've got husbands that were left at the border said, you can't go. You've got to stay and fight. Women and children are dragging a single suitcase and a backpack on their child, and they have no idea if their temporary home is ever going to be their home again. That's the reality. Wednesday, they thought, we have everything that we need. We have our homes. We have our security. We have our safety. It says on Wednesday evening, the places and the restaurants in the capital city were filled with people. There were people everywhere. Even though the threat was there, Russians are on the border. And they say, it's not going to happen. And in an instant, temporary things may be gone in an instant. Folks, I don't think we realize how much we trust in our possessions and how much we trust in what we actually have for our security. That's why Paul warned that the more we have, the more you possess, the more likely you are to trust in it, even unknowingly. What if we were run out of our homes tomorrow saying you can no longer preach the gospel of Christ, get one suitcase and get one backpack and get moving? All you have to do if you want to stay in your home, just deny Christ. How many of us grab the suitcase and grab the backpack and go? Folks, the temporary things of this world is not what Christ was dealing with. Christ did not come and shed his blood to give you a comfortable living and give you a comfortable life. He did not come to make sure that you had riches and had, again, the money is not evil in and of itself. It's the love of it. But Christ did not come to give you a happy life. He did not die and shed His blood to make every day a Friday. That's not why He died. He died to secure eternal redemption for vile, wicked, depraved sinners who we are so quick to look at evil people in the world and say, that is a wicked person. Look what He's doing to a helpless, peaceful nation. And have we looked at our own depravity that says... Without God, I am no less wicked. And without Christ opening my eyes through the Spirit, I am capable of the unthinkable. I don't think we believe our own depravity. I don't think we know how bad we really are. I think we kind of polish it to make it look 
a little better than it really is because we don't want anybody to really see the inside and we don't want them to really see our heart. There are things in my life and in my own heart now I don't want you to see for anything. They're shameful things. They're things that I allow my heart to be drawn away. And what happens is because I forget about the blood of Christ that was shed and gave me eternal redemption. Because I'm as tempted as you are to get caught up in the world and to get starstruck with things. Yet Jesus deals not in the temporary. When you come to Christ, you have to deal with the eternal things. There's nothing temporary about the work He does. He did not obtain a temporary redemption for you. He has obtained eternal redemption. That means His blood was actually effectual. His blood affected eternal redemption. Gave something that nothing else could do. Oh, atonement for sin was being made in the tabernacle. It was being made, but it had to be repeated. There is the effectual blood. Notice it says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this cause, he is, that's Christ, the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, Jesus Christ had to not only bleed, but he had to die for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament that they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance, even the redemption of the sins under the first testament. His death secured even those who were under the first testament so that even the Old Testament saint, what a glorious statement, is redeemed by the blood of Christ. (laughs) You don't hear that in many churches anymore. The Old Testament saints redeemed by the blood of Christ, by the blood of a person they didn't even know, they didn't even see, but it's still the blood of Christ that secured their eternal redemption. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. This is is one of those deep thoughts. But even though we see that the blood of Christ is effectual, we also see that His blood was necessary. Where a covenant is, there must also be the death of him who covenants, or by whom the covenant is established. In other words, the one who makes the covenant, in order for the covenant to become effective, the covenant to be in force, it comes after the man is dead. It comes after the death of he who makes the covenant. That covenant is of no strength while the testator lives. It only becomes effective, in a sense, after the victim dies. The covenant is now in place. Christ's blood, verse number 18, look what it says, whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. You see, even the Old Testament sacrifices required blood. In verses 18 down through the first part of verse 23, we see that the writer gives us an illustration of Christ's blood on the earth. How was an illustration of Christ's blood being demonstrated? Well, we see it there. For when Moses had spoken, verse 19, every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people. 
saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And almost all things are by law purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood is no remission. This illustration is a a very clear, plain truth that really demonstrates to us the entirety of the Old Testament. There is such a deep, heavy lesson in this. There are some today who still cannot stand the doctrine of substitutionary atonement. They cannot stand the reality that Christ as a substitute. They want to cast away this idea of a substitutionary atonement, that that it has to be this idea here. But yet, understand that that's the very essence of the gospel. We've heard that word a couple times today. That's the very essence of the gospel is the blood and righteousness of Christ. Everything that the gospel stands upon, stands upon this substitutionary atonement. Christ takes the place of. He's the one who takes the wrath of God upon Himself. This idea that our sin went unpunished is crazy talk. Our sin was punished, but it was punished in the atoning sacrifice. Jesus Christ took our punishment for us. You didn't just simply go free Punishment was doled out. It was doled out on Christ. And it's very evident that the sacrifice of Christ was intended in many ways to show us what the blood of bulls and goats could not do. But do you realize that what the blood of bulls and goats could not do is it could not deal with something. It couldn't deal with the conscience. It couldn't deal with the reality of guilt. That's him we're trying to learn. Free from guilt and free from sin. Free from sin, free from guilt. Do it either way. Do you realize what it is to be free from the guilt? I can declare to you, here's how you can be free from sin or free from this. But think about the conscience and being free from the guilt of sin. You realize after every Old Testament sacrifice, after every year of atonement, there was still the guilt because they knew it was coming again and they knew they'd have to offer it again. And one year later, they would have to have the sins atoned for yet again and again and again. Christ, in my place, suffered the penalty of my sin There's nothing else in the world that will, that will calm the conscience for my own sin than the shedding of Christ's blood. It doesn't matter how many vats of blood I brought into this place, and no matter if we built a replica of an, the Ark of the Covenant, if we tried to do all that, and God help us if we ever did that. We're going down a wrong path if we try this. So I'm not suggesting we even come close to it. But if we were to be so foolish, that blood of bulls and goats and even that spotless lamb could never, ever, ever cure our guilt of sin. Only the blood of Christ could do that. Only the blood of Christ 
could take away not only the penalty of what sin, the wages of sin, but it also is that which calms my conscience. That sprinkling, in fact, under the law of Moses, and it says all things were purified by the means of blood. I would encourage you to study Leviticus 17 and look at how the purification processes were. There are some things that were cleansed by water. Some things were cleansed by fire. But without the blood, there was no forgiveness of sin. There is no example in Scripture or no example of perfect pardon where no blood is being applied. Perfect pardon required blood. Spotless, perfect blood. In verse number 23, we do see a reference made. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. There is a reference being made here to the tabernacle, a reference being made to the mercy seat, the written law, the priesthood, and the whole nation of Israel were patterns of what is in heaven. So now Christ in heaven comes as a great high priest, goes before the holy throne of God, represents uh, those that are his. He satisfies the law. He atones for our sin with his blood. And then we're told he prays for us. He is the only suitable atonement. It was therefore necessary. These things that were done below were only the patterns, the models, the symbols of the heavenly things. That's why I said Christ is dealing in the eternal things, not the temporal things. It was possible to be ceremonial, ceremonially purified. It was possible for you to be ceremonially cleansed. But only the, only the blood of Christ cleanses completely and fully, including the guilt of sin. But the heavenly things themselves are better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. So after we look at that illustration, now we see in the end of verse 23 down to verse 28, we see the actual application of His blood. The actual application. Jesus Christ, for all we know, never went into the veil, beyond the veil, in the Jewish tabernacle or the temple. We're not told scripturally that any day He ever showed up and He said, guys, I'm going to go beyond the veil. He never entered into that. But He did enter into, and He's gone into heaven itself to do what? To appear in the presence of God for us. Now that opens up all sorts of theological questions, which I'm not going to deal with today. Could Christ have gone beyond the veil? What would have happened if Christ had gone beyond? Would anything have happened if He went beyond the veil? Why didn't He go beyond the veil? See, I'm giving you lots to chew on today. But never once did He show up at the tabernacle in the temple and say, guys, I'm going to go ahead and do this today. But it does say he entered in to what is, what is it called here? These things in the holy place that were made with hands were figures of the true, but into heaven itself he went into to appear in the presence of God for us. 
So he's gone into heaven. So Jesus Christ did not take his blood beyond the veil and put it on the mercy seat. But yet it said it was his blood, as we read earlier, that he entered into once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us back in verse number 12. By his own blood he entered in. But he didn't take it into the tabernacle and he didn't take it into the temple. Right? At that time it would have been the temple. He didn't do that. But then look how this Look how this ends. He says in verse 25, nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others. So he didn't do what the priest did, entering often, which is a reference back to the once a year, one day a year atonement. For verse 26, for then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. There is absolutely, positively no need that Christ should die again. His one offering has forever, eternally perfected His people. To try to put Christ on the cross again is an absolute travesty. To try to say He's got to shed His blood again. To try to recreate which so many people who are in darkness all over the world are trying to recreate crucifixions with blood that cannot do anything. The only thing that remains for Christ is not to come and shed blood again. He's coming again, but never mistake this and don't lose sight of this, that He is coming. And when He, come, when he comes again, there is a judgment coming. The judgment of the ungodly. The judgment of those who are not in Christ. But yet the glorious truth that we will be with Him forever. Christ's one offering so fully met the claims of everything a holy, perfect God required that there was no need of any other offering for sins. Matter of fact, there's no room for it. There's no place to put it. There's no place to apply it. That's why when we try to say that my eternal redemption is based on something more than the blood of Christ, I am adding to the Scripture. I'm committing that which I should not be committing. I cannot add anything to that blood because His blood is what secured real, eternal redemption. It's interesting how His second coming is made mention here. Look what it says. Verse 27, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. Folks, I know we don't like to talk about death. We don't like to talk about that which is to come. But there is death coming and there is a judgment coming. And it is appointed unto men to die. Now you might be here today and you might say with 100% confidence in yourself and 100% confidence in everything that's around you. Maybe it's in your temporal things. Maybe it's in what you own. Maybe it's in what you do. But I want you to understand that I'm saying this out of deep love for each and every one of you. There is coming a day when you are going to die. And you are going to step out into eternity and you're going to step out into eternity. And if you step out without Jesus Christ, there is not going to be a time for you to repent and believe after you've stepped out. Don't believe the lie that says, I'm going to wait until I get on my deathbed. I'm going to wait until I really know my time is coming and then say, then I'll repent. God is stirring in your heart today. If God is stirring in your mind and the Spirit of God is moving, repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and beg God to open your eyes and unstop your ears and say, God, have mercy on my soul and beg God to come in. And yet, 
Man dies, people die every single second in this world. And the day that they died, they did not expect that was going to be the day. Most people don't know. We have, we have seen too much dramatizations of death. And we've seen too much of how at the final moment, I would strongly, out of great love for you, would tell you, do not wait until your final moment. All who come unto Christ will not be cast out. They will not be turned away. Don't believe the lie that says, I can't come to Christ. There's nothing keeping you from coming to Christ than you coming to Christ. And yet, we see verses like this as it is appointed. You realize God's appointments don't change. I would be willing to guess that somebody in this room, probably more than one of you, you have an appointment somewhere this week. You've got some place you've got to be. You may even have a nice little card that tells you what time you're going to be there. That appointment time is fluid. It's changing. You may or may not make it to that appointment. You may or may, you may, or may not even see whoever it is you're going to see. You've got a hypothetical appointment. If there's no other conflicts, then that appointment's good. That appointment will stay. But you have, and I have, an appointment with death that you're not going to change. You can take care of all the fads. You can do all the things to extend your life. You can take good care of yourself. You can do everything you need to do and say, I'm going to find the fountain of youth. I'm going to find it. I'm going to live, 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 live until you don't. Folks, the last couple of weeks, I have seen people suddenly just get sick and die. I'm watching on my television and I'm watching people die. I'm watching, I'm watching people wondering where their loved ones are. I'm wondering and I'm seeing, I'm seeing that death is all around us and we don't want to talk about it. But yet it is the grand question of the life that we have to say, who are you trusting in for your eternal redemption? And if it's not in Jesus Christ, it is going to leave you outside of heaven. And I would be remiss if I did not tell you that it's going to leave you in a place called hell that is very real. And don't believe the foolishness on the television and on the internet that says hell's not real. This is not a joke. Amen. This is the reality that God has said. And yet the blood of Christ has been applied He's entered into heaven once. The way of access has been given. And the command goes out, repent and believe the gospel. Christ's second coming, notice how it's identified. This is a, an unbelievable statement, the way it, it phrases this. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Christ's second coming will be without sin. It will also be without a sin offering. Christ will come again totally and wholly and fully and completely apart from sin unto what 
unto them. Many. Unto them, many. If you have believed the lie, then don't worry about it. God wouldn't do that. Everybody's going to heaven. This is just a way for the churches to make money. Church is unnecessary, just everybody is saved in the end. That's not what your Bible says. Unless you have got a corrupt, perverted translation, which I would tell you, if your, if your translation says anywhere that the whole world's going to be saved, everybody, without any conditions, you need to throw it away. It says many. And it says only unto them who look for Him. Who is looking for Him? I'm looking for Him. As a child of God, you should be looking for Him. I'm not looking for Him to come and die on a cross again. I'm not looking for Him again to offer another sin offering. I am looking for Him to come and redeem His bride that He has secured eternal redemption for. He shall appear without sin unto salvation. I pray this morning that you are among those that when He returns, He's not going to be bearing the sins of His people again. He's not going to be going to a cross again, but He is coming to bring the final salvation, the completeness, the perfectness of what we have been looking for and what we have been praying for. The blood is disappearing from our pulpits and so is a belief that Christ is actually coming again. I never thought I'd hear the day when churches have said there's no need to preach on the blood and there's no need to preach on the second coming because it's not happening. You've been hearing about this just like Peter says in his epistle, where is the promise of his coming? Friends, He's coming again. Just because you think it's not true doesn't make it so. Just because you think it's not going to happen today, I really don't think it's going to happen. God really, it's amazing how much we put everything back on God and said, God won't really let me go to hell. Why aren't you repenting and believing the gospel today? Why aren't you acknowledging that before a holy God, I am undeserving of your mercy? Yet I'm crying out to you to spare my soul. Have mercy upon my soul. It's an amazing thing that even when you show people the way and you tell them about the way, some respond by saying, I want no part of that. Folks, when the Lord Jesus Christ comes again, not everybody's going to be looking for him. Not everybody is going to even be concerned. But every child of God who understands I've been redeemed by the blood of Christ is looking and they're constantly looking. They're always looking for His return. The Bible clearly declares that no man, no woman knows the hour. So when some foolish man gets on television and says, I can tell you the exact moment Christ is coming again, you run as far away as you can because he has no clue, he has no idea because only God knows. 
And there are people today that are sitting at home watching that kind of garbage on television saying, that's where my hope is in, and they're being fed lies. You've heard the truth this morning. You've heard the truth of God's word. You may not agree with everything that I said. You may not agree with how I portray it. You may not agree with how I deliver it. And I don't really care. I want you to call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. I'm not here for your approval. We're only here to get the approval of God and be sure that we're proclaiming the gospel truthfully. And I don't want a single person to leave this building to say, to, to say I did not hear truth today. You've heard the truth. Christian, whatever that calls us to do, do it. Unbeliever, called to salvation, repent, believe. God, His Word is always right. His God is always true. I am thankful. I'm thankful for the blood of Christ. Let's finish by singing the hymn on 292, which I think is very appropriate. When we think about what our salvation means to us, we could go around the room today and we could say, what's your testimony? But this song tends to remind us of the treasure that our redemption is and how precious the blood of Christ is. 292, let's stand as we conclude our time this morning. How rich and